if you are doing everything under the sun, it is so hard to know what caused someone to convert. There could be so many things, right? And even if you have done this for years, it's still difficult to know. So you want to strategically start small and then start to incorporate things. We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Work Less, Earn More. It's Gillian Perkins. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about how to successfully sell your first course. So if you are a new course creator, maybe you don't have an audience yet, and you are wondering how you are going to find customers for your first course, then this is the episode for you. And I have to say, I have the perfect guest for this episode. I am talking today with Jess Katork, who is the head of Creator Launch initiatives at Teachable. So basically what my friend Jess does is she works at Teachable and heads up the department that works to make creators as successful as possible. And many of the creators that they're working with are brand new creators. Teachable, as you probably know, is a course hosting platform. They've been around for several years and have worked with thousands and thousands of course creators at this point. So they've got more data than just about anyone about what works when it comes to launching courses. And Jess is right in the center of all of that. She has the anecdotes, the stories, she's got examples to share, and she has data about what is working for course creators, be it new course creators, or seasoned course creators, be it those who have audiences or don't have audiences at all. So in this episode, I grill Jess on, first of all, what the most common successful strategies are for launching courses for new creators, and especially what the most common successful strategy is for generating leads. Because if you are new to the course creation game, if your audience is small, then that's going to be one of the first things you need to think about. How can you get leads to even offer your course to? After that, our conversation shifts to talking about how to turning those leads into paying customers and different launch strategies. We talk about more complex launch strategies and simpler ones and the pros and cons of each and some things that really make the biggest difference. We also discuss what to focus on with your first course launch. Should you be working more on getting more traffic or should you work more on refining your launch process or building out your funnel? And then finally, something people ask me about all the time, and that is pricing strategy. In this episode, we specifically get into pricing strategy for new creators. How should you decide how much to charge for your course? Does it work better to charge less or more for your first course? And how should you price yourself compared to your competitors? All that and more coming up in this episode with Jess Katork, so keep on listening. So Jess, to start out, can you tell me about some of the most common ways that you see new course creators attracting their first customers for their courses? So this is interesting because I feel like what we were seeing 
a few years ago, this has shifted a little bit more now. I mean, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you need to have a group of people that are interested in your topic or at least aware of what you're doing to lead them to the point of purchase. But as we are seeing, you know, list building efforts, people focusing on social media, it is a lot harder to grow your list organically in some places. So one thing that I've definitely noticed is people going into more joint venture partnerships. So, you know, reaching out to people who have a little bit of a larger audience than you, being able to do either like an IG live, doing a collaboration on their channels, if it's YouTube or podcast, but then sending people to a lead magnet or a free offer that then goes into a sales sequence. You know, we can talk about the, what is actually in that sales sequence, you know, how they're actually selling the course. But at the end of the day, if you really do want to get to that first point of purchase, you want to be able to find a tribe of people around you. And in order to you know, exponentially grow that, finding someone who has a larger audience and being able to put you in front of them and grow your list that way has been just hands down one of the most impactful things I've seen. So you're saying doing a joint venture partnership where specifically you are promoting a lead magnet. So you're not talking necessarily about doing like a JV webinar where you're pitching your product to their audience, but you're also not just trying to grow your audience by just doing like an IG live with someone and hoping that some of those people follow you and then later become leads and become customers, but instead doing some sort of collaboration where you get to put out some sort of lead magnet and grow your email list that way and then selling via email. Exactly. Yeah. And I will say like joint venture webinars are a great option. And I would say that it it could fit into that, but One of the things that I think it's important for everyone to keep in mind is that when you're reaching out to someone who has a bit of an audience, you know, usually when you do a joint venture webinar, there is some type of affiliate commission for your course, right? So they're promoting it to their audience and they're going to get something out of it for anyone who's in their audience that joins. But we need to confidently say, like, because if someone is taking time out of their day or promoting something to their audience, it's important to have a benchmark. So for you to have already done this webinar and have a conversion rate where you can say, I've done this webinar a few different times. On average, I get around a 15% live conversion rate and about a 2% in the email sequence after. And that way it's easier to get someone to say, oh, well, I can drive 2000 people or a thousand people to webinar. And then they can do the math and justify like, okay, this makes sense to do this. But if you're just starting out, you might not already have that. And so I think rather than, you know, trying to create a webinar for the first time and, you know, trying to do all these different tests, just starting to do those joint venture partnerships to grow your list with a lead magnet is a lot easier. And you can do the webinar at the same time as you're you're practicing, but um, I would definitely start with that if you're just starting out. I love that as a first step, a much easier first step because JV webinars, like you said, they can be really powerful. They can be a great way to sell, but a lot of the time people fail at even securing the partnership at all, getting anyone to say yes to them when they are first starting out. They don't have the numbers. They don't have the proof yet. So I love this as an alternative first like stepping stone where you're providing content to someone with an audience, you're providing some expertise as a guest, you're providing a resource to their audience, and you're not asking for much of anything in return, a little bit of space and time, right? But you're not asking them to really put themselves on the line with promoting an offer that maybe they aren't confident will pay them. 
And I can imagine there are lots of different forms this could take. Like you mentioned specifically an IG Live. It could also be a no-pitch webinar or a free workshop. It could just be you being a podcast guest um, or even just doing guest blogging, but somehow getting that leveraged influence. Is that one of the, the very most common ways that you see people successfully getting some traction, getting some leads for their first courses? I'm not going to say it's the most common. It's the most common that is the most impactful, if that makes sense, because there aren't a lot of people, like not everyone is doing this and reaching out to people, which is great. So if you're listening to this, you can definitely, you know, leverage that. Um, but as far as people who are able to grow quickly and get their first sale, uh, it's being able to leverage other people's audience, um, assuming that you're not spending money on ads. You know, if you're using ads, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but yes, most common, but also the most impactful. Um, otherwise, people are just doing things a little bit more traditionally, um, you know, being able to create their content and doing a like lead magnet, doing a micro product. Uh, and this is actually a strategy that you have spoken about that I will share with everyone, um, which is the testing out smaller versions and seeing who buys, right? Being like, okay, if you guys buy one of these products, I can use that as validation to build a full course. Um, but again, all of those strategies, you need to have an audience to test it, which is why, you know, before we even dive into those types of things, the quickest way to be able to get that is through those joint ventures. So I know something my audience will want to know is how do you approach people about potentially doing some sort of collaboration or partnership? What do you tell them is in it for them? How do you get them to say yes? Oh, such a good question. Okay. And I have, I feel like I've tried almost every outreach approach under the sun, and I'm going to share it all with you. Um, but just high level as far as the mindset when it comes to outreach, you want to do your research. And what I mean by that is that you're not going in and being like, hey, I would love if you feature me, like you're trying to get something from them. Because even if they're micro influencers, and they have 2000 followers on Instagram, or wherever that is, you know, people are still likely asking them for something. So what I would do is step one, go through their content, whether it's IG lives, whether it's comments on their posts, whether it's um, episodes of their podcast, and look for areas where you could insert your area of expertise. If there's questions that people have under some content where they're like, oh, I love this, but I didn't really understand X, Y, and Z. And that's something that you can actually help fill gaps in. I would approach it like that, where you can say like, hey, I'm so-and-so, this is my area of expertise. Really enjoyed this episode of your podcast, as an example. However, I did notice in the comments that a lot of people were actually struggling with this. And I don't really see you talking about this. And, you know, this is actually something that I specialize in. You know, here are some tips that I would love to share with your audience. Just like from a mindset perspective, that is the most effective way of doing that. If you want to take it a step further, things that I've done that are a little bit out of the box, I guess, is one, I have sent $5 Starbucks gift cards to people that I wanted to collab with just like from the website. And I said, you know, this is genuine, but I said, I really appreciate the work that you're doing, have gotten a lot from it. I would love to be able to chat over coffee, whether, you know, it was on your show or just me in person. Obviously, we can't do that in real life. So you'll find the next best thing in your inbox via Starbucks. Um, but either way, just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing. You will always, I promise you, almost always get a response from someone by doing that. And also it's just like a nice way to basically get to, to the front of the line with the people they're speaking with. Uh, or you could do a mm -hmm. video pitch, which that's a whole other conversation. But 
I just encourage people when you are reaching out to people, don't be afraid to do things that are outside of the traditional email to get their attention because you could be surprised with the the impact it can have. One strategy that I like to employ sometimes is to find a platform where the creator or the whoever, the influencer or whoever you're trying to talk to, where they have a small audience, but they want to have a bigger audience. Now, not everyone has a platform like this, but a lot of people have a platform like this, a platform they're trying to grow, but maybe it's newer to them or maybe it's just not working as well as they want. So rather than reaching out to them on their main platform where they probably hear a lot of noise, reach out to them on that smaller platform and they are probably going to be a lot more responsive there if they're trying to grow it. So for example, if like their Instagram is way smaller than their YouTube or something like that, then reach out to them on Instagram or even try reaching out to them by like tagging them in a tweet or something like that. And you'll find that they'll just be a lot more responsive. That's such a good idea not only for them being more likely to feature you on the chat on like that channel or platform but i would imagine if you crush it let's say they're just growing their their ig live content they probably be like wow this is really great can we can we do something on my youtube channel or can we do something again that's a really good tip And similarly, I've noticed that it's become more and more popular to start podcasts, but it can be tougher to grow podcasts than to grow a YouTube channel or something else like that where there's a search algorithm. And so sometimes it can be easier to get someone to be a guest on your podcast if they're trying to grow their own podcast. So you just have to kind of get creative because then once you establish that connection in maybe an area where they really want some traction, whether that is just like an Instagram message when they're not getting very many Instagram messages, or it's an opportunity for them to be on a podcast when they really want the opportunity to be guests on podcasts to grow their own podcast or something like that. And then like you were saying, like that can be a foot in the door to a bigger opportunity that they originally would have said no to like maybe their big thing is YouTube or they have a big email list and they wouldn't have ever featured you to their email list but once they have gotten that nice opportunity from you by being on your podcast or something like that then they might say yes so when it comes to other strategies that people sometimes utilize you mentioned just using organic traffic and converting that into leads or using ads Um, do you see a lot of success have you been seeing success lately with ads i know ever since like the pandemic started um which now is like ancient history perhaps, but it's still is affecting things. And it threw all the mm-hmm. ad spend, all the ad numbers, like for a real loop. Have you seen people go on to become successful at that again? Because I know for a while it, it was just kind of a wash. Yes, and it's not even just the pandemic. It's also with Apple changing the, the iOS privacy settings for being able to target certain audiences accurately, which is, you know, it's, it's a great thing that they're doing that, but it also makes it very difficult when you're running ads to not be able to target people as specifically. Um, so what I will say is ads are still working. If we're being just fully transparent, it is definitely harder and or more expensive in some cases, but it doesn't mean that they don't work. What I would encourage people to do, um, and this strategy is something that it works for many reasons, but having some type of tripwire or lower price product in your funnel if you're doing an ad. Um, and tripwire meaning it is it should be an impulse buy. So thinking through what you can offer that could be $5, $4, $7. Um, and the reason why is let's say that you have a course that you're selling for, let's say it's like $300. 
Now, you want to send as many people to your, whether it's your sales funnel or to your sales page as possible. But the price point is high, which means that the conversion rate is likely going to be lower, which means that your cost per lead or cost per click is going to be like more expensive, right? So what you can do is by incorporating, whether it's a tripwire where you're promoting, you're using ads to promote a very cheap product, which means that you're going to get a lot of people buying something um, at the beginning, or let's say you have a, within your funnel, let's say you have a free video series or webinar, then on the thank you page, having a upsell, which is a tripwire of like a very cheap product where it's like a $5 uh, downloadable guide or a $5 bonus workshop or something. Um, And the reason why this is a great strategy is because one, you're going to have people that purchase that lower price product who might not pay for your course. But what that means is that your cost per click is going to go down because you're getting some money back in that you can reinvest into your ads. Um, And then the other thing is that when someone purchases something from you, even if it's a dollar or two dollars, they're going to be more likely, assuming that it's valuable, they're going to be more likely and you've already established that trust to pay a higher price product from you. So, you know, I I don't want to suggest this and, you know, have people feel like they have to create all of this new content, but I would encourage you to at least explore what are some ways where you can incorporate a smaller price product in your ad funnel or just in general, because then you can get some money back on the front end to reinvest in the ads, but also you can see too, or you can at least build that trust for people to purchase your other products down the line. Okay, so we're getting pretty deep into, I would say kind of complex sales funnel strategy already. Let's take a step back though. Let me tell you a little story about kind of what happened when I was first starting and something that I see a lot of people in my audience deal with as well. And I would love to have you weigh in, give your perspective, tell me just what alternatives you are aware of or what you've seen work for people. So I tend to be a marketing nerd and get really deep into things and make things way more complex than they need to be really fast. And that was the case from day one when I started my online business as soon as I'd learn a new strategy, I wanted to implement it. And so when I had practically no audience at all and hadn't made a single sale of a digital product, I decided you know, to create a large online course and build a complicated webinar sales funnel that would try to sell this course to people at a high price point. And spoiler alert, it didn't work at all. It fell completely flat and I didn't make any money. And I kept trying to do that in different ways. I thought, you know, maybe just my marketing messages were off. Maybe I need a different version of the webinar. But in retrospect, I realized that one of the main things that was going wrong was that when you have a longer, complicated sales funnel like that, the end conversion rate is really small. So like the percentage of people Mm -hmm. who chose to sign up for your opt-in offer and got on your email list, that's going to be a small percentage. And then only a small percentage of those people are interested in your webinar topic and sign up. And only a small percentage of the people who sign up even show up. And then only a small percentage of those people even buy. And so if you start with 100,000 people, then that ends up being a decent number of sales at the end. But if you start with 100 people, then at the end of all of that, you end up with one sale or maybe zero sales. So that means that when your audience is really small 
or when you have a very small amount of visibility or small number of leads, having a longer, more complicated sales funnel often does you a disservice. So going a more shorter, direct route, doing something more personal where you're talking to individuals, I find tends to work a lot better. And that's generally what I encourage my audience to do is to get out there and talk to real people, whether that's via email or in person, and tell them about their product so that they can get feedback, whether or not those people choose to buy and because they also will have actually a much higher chance of making a sale when they're doing things more directly, even though it's a lot more manual and it might not be scalable long term. In the short term, it's going to just have much bigger benefits for them, both with the learning and with the sales. Considering all that, what have you seen work in those regards? Can you corroborate my story? And have you seen that work for other people? But also like, if there's any specific ways you've seen people reach out, like has this been cold call type things where they were reaching out to more like strangers on Instagram versus talking to their very small circle of friends and family? Like what have you seen work in that regard? Yes, and I can say Gillian that this is not just when you're starting out, but like, so we, um, in in the department that I'm, I'm overseeing right now, we have two efforts, right? We have a, an online membership, but we also work with uh, larger creators and influence, well, I hate the term influencer, but you know what I mean when I say that, of people who've just like have established a large audience. And this, what you're saying is a consistent across the board and it will not change even if you have a huge audience because, you know, even if you have, let's say 2 million subscribers on YouTube, what we're seeing is when we're looking at our benchmark of a 2% conversion rate, which is, you know, industry average, we usually do see things higher than that, but that's like a good starting point to see how you're tracking. Bringing people into an email funnel, all of a sudden, even though there's 2 million subscribers on YouTube or whatever, it starts to go down and down and down. So what I would say is if you're just starting out, 100%, do not do this. Uh, There's also that shiny object syndrome where, you know, uh, I've worked with creators who we have set out an entire launch plan for them. Very straightforward, very reliable, and The thing that you want to keep in mind with your first launch is that this is data collection, not personal data collection, but just data as in learning what is working and what isn't. So we want something that is very simple so we can see, okay, I could test out in the next time that I launch this, this specific variable. If you are doing everything under the sun, it is so hard to know what caused someone to convert. There could be so many things, right? And even if you have done this for years, it's still difficult to know. So you want to strategically start small and then start to incorporate things. Because with the creator I was working with, we had, you know, for the first launch, we'd laid out a very clear, reliable funnel, which was uh, originally it was a webinar that led into a sales sequence. They've done webinars before. Mm-hmm. It's their zone of genius. But then they're like, oh, well, I've been talking to so-and-so and we should be incorporating this. And I was like, oh, uh, well, and then it's like, well, why don't we add this and piecing all these different strategies that people are doing into one. And then you get this Frankenstein launch where all of the things that may have worked in isolation now are either competing against each other or just don't work. So um, I share this because if you're just starting out, I would imagine you are absorbing so much valuable information from different places. It does not mean that one works better than the other or that you need to be doing everything. So hopefully that's just like a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can start small. Um, but as far as like just starting out, I think the f- the easiest funnel, or not the easiest, the most simple funnel to implement is 
first some type of free offering that generates a demand for your topic. So for example, um, actually, this is a real life example. We're working with a creator right now who has a course on uh, building a, a smart living room. So it's, you know, getting the tech, getting the lighting, all of that. Now, I'm not someone who necessarily thought that I wanted to do this. However, we helped craft this three-part video series. Very, like, if you if you guys are familiar with Jeff Jeff Walker of Product Launch Formula, um, there's so many other variations of, like, the, the same style, is doing a three-part series or a workshop or masterclass that really, one, highlights the why. Like, why would you even care about doing what it is that your product is going to solve? So in this case, for the smart home course, he talked about the concepts of productivity, increasing your productivity when you have a very streamlined like home and the simplicity and just like loving where you're living and all of that. The second thing that you want to ensure when you're adding in content in this like free opt-in mini series or whatever it is that you decide to do is also what are the mistakes that people are making or the cost of not knowing how to do this properly? This is important because we sold them on the why. Maybe they're excited, but we still haven't given them a reason to learn from you or to purchase your product. And this thing right here is going to help with that. And then the the last thing to incorporate within that, or within this rather, is being able to show what the outcome will be like for that user. So rather than talking about let's say you have a course on baking rather than talking about like, Oh, well, you know, if you learn how to bake, you'll be able to have bread. That's fine. That's like technically true, but really what you want to focus on is a transformation in the outcome of how will they feel? What will their life look like? How will they feel about their life when they've received this uh, transformation or this outcome and really painting that picture? Because then you can go into a very simple email sales sequence something that we recommend is doing eight emails over eight days. I know that sounds like a lot, but you know, we can chat through this more as well, but going through and just selling the course for eight days and then closing the cart within those emails though, what you're doing is you're not just saying, go buy my course, go buy my course. One thing that you consider is Ryan Levesque talks about this as well, but just being familiar with buyer personas and people receive information differently. So, you know, some people would be interested in receiving an email that is more story-based. If you really articulating, you know, what your life could look like in two years or in a year when you master this thing, other people are very analytical, right? They're just like, tell me what is in this course or what is in this product? What's the cost? FAQs. And ensuring that your email sequence covers all of those different personas so that, you know, everyone feels like there's a certain piece of them in it. Um, and then lastly, your email should be structured and we can go in depth in this. It, it might be two in the weeds, but when you're going through them, every email should have a purpose. For example, when you're first starting out, focusing on the outcome that people will receive when they go through your course. The second phase of emails is really going into that uh, credibility and testimonials. So whether you're thanking people who've joined your course, you're sharing stories and case studies of people who've gone through it and have actually received some type of outcome or success. And then the end of the funnel is really where you go into that. The card is closing or my offer is closing. Here's what you need to know, whether you join or not, like this is who the program is for. This is who it's not, etc. So yeah, I know that's like a little bit in the weeds and I could talk about this 
for a while, but to really sum all this up and to condense it, step one for the most simple funnel is some type of free offering that builds a demand and interest. And it shows people why it is that they should take action to learn this or to overcome this problem or pain point. Second step is that email sales sequence where you're speaking to different buyer personas and each email should feel different to either talk about the outcome, case studies to build up credibility, and then finally a reason to act or join now. A lot there, happy to chat through it <laughs> after, but in, in just like high level, that's going to be your most uh, effective one. Um, we can talk through other strategies too though. Yeah, well, I love getting into the nitty gritty and the real specifics. I think today we've got I have several other questions I want to ask you, but I would love to do that in a future episode. Maybe walk through Teachable's recommended email launch series. Um, about what you were saying, though, with you were talking about like the free opt-in that maybe as a short video course, you were talking specifically about a three video series. And then you talked about you need to talk to your potential customers about the why, about um, ki kind of like common mistakes people make. So I'm curious, were each of those things you mentioned, were they one video? Like was the first video about the why? Was the second video about the mistakes? And what was the third video about? if that is the case <laughs> yeah the first one being the the why um the second being mistakes or uh the cost of not overcoming this pain point or the cost of trying to learn how to do it yourself and then the third one is either the before and after or um what you can also do is uh sharing a knowledge framework like when you're creating your course the things that you're going to be talking about or teaching even though you probably think that you know this is you know, I didn't come up with this. I'm just sharing my information, um, the information that I know. But I would recommend creating a framework. Danielle Leslie talks about this uh, a lot, where, you know, whatever it is that you're teaching, there should be some type of framework, like the one creator that we work with, she's the SLAP framework. And it stands for sales, leads, acquisition, and I think profit or something. Uh, but basically creating some type of framework like that, where in your third video, what it can serve is one, it's easy for someone to digest the information because it's easy for them to remember what those letters are or the steps, but it also differentiates you from other people because even let's say you're teaching the same thing as someone else. If someone sees that you have a branded framework of teaching someone how to get to a certain outcome, all of a sudden they're like, this seems like I need to learn how to do this rather than just a generic step-by-step uh, -step guide. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's another way that you can approach it, whether it's in your third video, it is an after, like a before and after of the transformation, or you share a framework that someone can use and implement to get some type of win um, at the end of it. And I think that whenever you share a framework or you have a framework, it immediately means that you're selling something that is unique. You're selling something that they can't yeah. get anywhere else. And so just like you were saying, like it makes them want to buy the product from you because now instead of thinking just like, I want to learn more about sales and, you know, considering lots of different sales courses, suddenly they understand how this framework works and they understand the benefits of that framework and you're the only person they can buy it from. So. I love to implement that strategy in my own marketing. I also love how you shared about keeping the launch process really simple, like perhaps with a webinar and then a follow-up sales sequence and not getting really fancy with a lot of bells and whistles and more complicated strategies. Because it's so tempting to do that. I know I 
absolutely fell prey to it at the beginning and even today you know there is that shiny object syndrome and it's always tempting to add more things in because you think well if this thing could slightly improve my results and if this thing could slightly improve my results and this thing could too then all together this is going to be like the best funnel ever the best sales process ever the best <laughs> launch ever but a lot of the time it just ends up getting so complicated that the and the things kind of counteract each other sometimes and so it's much better to just start simple and I can't agree more just start really simple and then add one thing at a time so that you can really measure the impact whether it's positive or negative that adding that bell or that whistle adds to your funnel one thing I would also add um for people to do at the beginning this is a little bit easier if you do have some type of audience when you're starting it doesn't need to be a big one but is doing a survey. And we do this with all of the creators that we work with. And really what this solves is one, you understand your audience, your current audience, demographics and psychographics. But within that, you know, having open-ended responses. So asking people, you know, are you currently struggling with, and then you can list some topics there. This is also great for validating what your course topic is going to be. Having an open-ended response where people can elaborate on, you know, what it's like for them to experience this pain point, what it would mean for them to be able to overcome this. What are they hoping? What have they tried that hasn't worked? But you also can do or add in questions around age and also salary. Uh, salary makes people a little bit nervous when they have to ask someone it. And so what I would recommend is you can add the wording like, you know, if you feel comfortable, what is your, your income level? And then you can add a little caveat that says, uh, this will help me ensure that I'm creating and pricing products that are um, accessible for my audience. The reason why this is very helpful to know upfront is that when you're going through even the most simple funnel, and then you get to the end of it, and you're trying to see what worked and what didn't, it's very helpful. I can tell you from firsthand experience, it is very helpful to know, well, who were the people that were actually getting this? Because if you look at, and for example, um, you know, one of the courses that we were launching, we and we always say premium pricing is king right? Or queen, you know, premium pricing, but it should be premium pricing for your audience. And we AB tested a couple of price points, meaning that we tried for, you know, a, a group of the traffic, they received one price point and a different offer. And then the other group received a, a cheaper price point. And it was clear that one funnel was converting at a 0.3% conversion rate. The other was 3%. And when we really dug into it, it was clear that when we looked at the audience segment, based off of their buying power, the cheaper priced product was actually the premium price for that group. So, you know, it's, it's important to have it because once you go through your first launch and you want to test things, it's helpful to know who you're speaking to and what you're working with to help guide some of those decisions. Could you clarify or say again, when you said one funnel was converting at a percent and the other funnel was converting at a different percent. So one funnel, the higher price product was converting at a 0.3% conversion rate. And then the other, which was the cheaper product, uh, was converting at 3%. And just to add even more context, the higher price product was $97. The other product was 49, which in all accounts, usually were like, you know, a couple hundred dollars really is that benchmark. But when we looked at their audience demographics, most of the people were students and most of them were making under $30,000 a year. So, you know, had we not known that, we could have just gone in and been like, all right, well, you know, the average price of courses is $272. So let's just do that and then wonder, oh, well, maybe we need to 
do a more complex funnel. Maybe we need to do a better sales copy without really seeing one of the biggest factors, which was buying power and something that's a couple hundred dollars isn't always going to be realistic for your audience. Want to see exactly how I set up a sales funnel from scratch? Well, you're in luck because later this month or next month, depending on when you're listening to this, I'm going to be offering a sales funnel masterclass. Now, this is long awaited and highly anticipated because I've been making videos on YouTube about sales funnel strategy and how to build sales funnels and lots of other sales funnel related things for the last couple of years. And every time I make such a video, people always ask me so many questions and want me to go a lot deeper. So it's finally happening. Next month, Sales Funnel Masterclass is happening. I'm going to be showing you how I set up a sales funnel from scratch, and you can actually watch me build the funnel. I'm also going to be teaching some of my top tips for getting your funnels to convert as well as possible so they can make you as much money as possible. And I am going to be doing a live Q&A and answering questions from the attendees about setting up your sales funnels. It's going to be a 90 minute masterclass and I'm keeping it really affordable because I want people to be able to attend regardless of where they're at in their business. Maybe you have funnels set up in your business already and you want to learn how to optimize them and make them make you even more money. Or if maybe you haven't ever set up a sales funnel yet and you are just in the planning stages and deciding how you wanna set up your funnel, I want you to be able to attend and to learn how to create a great high converting sales funnel. So if you want to find out more and sign up to join us for the masterclass, then either check the show notes for the link or head to gillianperkins.com slash funnel dash masterclass. Again, that's gillianperkins.com slash funnel dash masterclass. And I'll see you there. You know, this is now getting into something that my audience asks me about all the time. So I'd love to have your insight into this. And that is course pricing. So you, you mentioned that average course price of, I think you said $272. Even that is a really helpful, just kind of like benchmark or ballpark sort of idea. Like what is a normal course price? But what have you seen with small creators? Maybe talk about a few different industries and what different sorts of price points have worked for them. Okay, so what I will say is, so $272, I actually think it's it's actually veered a little bit less than that now, which is interesting to see that trajectory. But at, those are for the top 10 selling um, instructors on Teachable, the average prices of their courses. But okay. what I will say, and you know, with your question, the way that you phrase it is what I think a lot of people or I know a lot of people are thinking, which is as a new creator, how should I price my course? And mm -hmm. what I will say to that is whether, and you know this, but like whether you're new or you've been doing this for years, that does not determine how much you should be charging for your course. You know, we were working with a, a YouTuber who was in an industry where all of his peers had courses that were like in the 30 to $50 range. And we told him and encouraged him based off of the data from the survey that his course should be priced at 200. And he was like, there is no way I'm doing that. That like, that's crazy. And we actually reached out to some of the creators that were seasoned in that space. And they said that if this creator can charge more and be successful, that will open up the, the doors for all of us. Like we priced ourselves too low from the beginning and now we're stuck here. We can't start 
selling $200 courses because people are gonna be like, you know, what's the difference? So Mm -hmm. when it comes to pricing and price ranges, before we even chat through, I mean, the industry and your audience is, is a factor, right? Knowing what their buying power is, knowing what they're used to spending on similar products, but also looking at what is the value of the outcome you're providing. Because, you know, if your course is, uh, let's say it's a very technical course that shows someone how to use a DSLR camera, bad example. But anyways, is the value of your course saving them even like hundreds of dollars from, you know, either buying extra lenses because they feel like their camera isn't working well or, you know, wasting money on a really expensive camera without actually knowing how to use it. So think of like, what is that value? Now for things that are a little bit more, not arbitrary, but you know, like bigger picture if it's like an internal outcome where it's, Mm -hmm. there's not a tangible dollar amount, still thinking through like, what are some of the opportunities that can present themselves for someone who masters this? That Those are some things I would think about. And then the next thing, highly recommend checking out Alex Hermosi. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a really great um, video on YouTube about uh, like offer structures. And he brings up a really good point that we talk about all the time, which is that the who you're speaking to will also determine what you can charge. So if you have a course that is like, how to master a two-tiered cake for beginners, that price point is going to be different than if you niche down to how to master a two-tiered buttercream cake for elite bakers looking to expand their bakery sales. Again, I'm, I don't why I pick examples where I know nothing about the actual industry. But what I'm saying is that when you niche down on your audience and who you're selling the course to, that also can determine how much you're charging. And by picking one niche over the other, that can help you increase your prices. But yeah, so there, there isn't really a range, but I would say that if you're starting out, it is good to try to be on the premium side of things because you don't have the numbers, right? You don't have that quantity of having mm-hmm. thousands of people buying your lower price product, but you also want to be reasonable to ensure that um, you can justify the, the value of that too. And of course, testing is always so important, just trying different things. When I first started, I was trying to go the premium route and seeing no sales. And so then I tried selling just something a lot smaller at a much lower price point. And that was when I started seeing some success. But I am a big believer in premium pricing with, like you said, keeping in mind that what's premium for one audience is not the same as what's premium for another. So if you've been around the digital marketing space at all, then you've probably seen courses that are targeted towards digital marketers and entrepreneurs. And those courses, they're B2B courses. They're courses that are being sold to other businesses so that the business can make more money. And so in that space, a premium course might be $2,000, $5,000 or even more. And so then if you have a bakery and you're selling a course, right, about how to make a buttercream cake, you might think, okay, and the advice was I should sell at a premium price. So that means, right, and that's the wrong conclusion to come to. Because for your audience, a premium course might be a $50 course or a $100 course. And that might be a very premium course, like for the advanced people in your industry. So just keep that in mind. Do your research, do the surveys, do the market research, like I always talk about. um, And also know that it's good to test different things. And if one thing isn't working, try something different. Definitely. Yeah. And also just always keep in mind knowing what your conversion rate is because you know we have people that launch to 100 people 
And they're like, only five people bought my course or my product. But then we're like, well, hang on a second. That's a 5% conversion rate. That is very good. Congratulations. Um, and so it's important to just look at things from a percentage standpoint, because that is going to be more telling on how you did in your launch versus just the dollar amount. We see that all the time in one of the programs that I run. Um, it's called Validate. Podcast listeners are probably familiar. And in the program, we teach people how to launch if they have no audience, basically. So you have no audience at all. How do you launch? Who do you launch to? How do you get some people to launch to? And so most of the students in that program, they're launching to somewhere between 10 and 200 people. And it's normally on the lower end of that. And sometimes they will be like, I only made three sales. And we're like, okay, you made three sales when you were launching to like 30 people. That is a 10% conversion mm. rate. That is insane. Like you definitely have validated your idea. You have proof of concept here, you know, go forth and prosper. That's so good. Yeah. Okay. So my next question for you is something very specific, but love your insight on this one. So this is from an email that I got from a subscriber maybe last week. When I first read her question, I was like, oh, well, I think you just don't understand. But then I was like, I remember thinking this myself. And basically her question is, should she focus more on trying to get an audience, trying to get visibility? Like, are those numbers more important or should she focus more on her conversion rate and like trying to improve her funnel if she's just starting out? Which one does she should she focus on first or which one is more important? What would you say? What an interesting question. I, that's, okay, I, I love this. So there's two answers that I have for you. And the, the main answer is it depends, you know, looking at your conversion rate or should you focus on more traffic? Now, something to consider is that the more traffic you get, the more reliable your conversion rate will be. Meaning that if you are launching to two people mm -hmm. and no one buys, you're like, oh, well, I have a 0% conversion rate. But if you had had 20 or 200, you actually would see more like a more accurate reflection of what that conversion rate is. So I think the the first question I would ask or have you ask yourself is like, how much traffic are you bringing in? I would say that, you know, reliably being able to at least assess your conversion rate if you have at least like 500 to 1000 people, I think is like a good uh, benchmark. So like if you're not there, you know, try to continue to grow it. But I think obviously you want to continue that. But the other thing is that when you're looking at your conversion rate, there's a lot that you're going to be learning from when you're bringing people in. And so I would encourage, I think it's important to still focus on building your audience and bringing people in. Um, but then at the end of your funnel, rather than just being like, okay, here's my conversion rate. Let's just focus on bringing more people in and seeing what I can test. But you actually can ask people who didn't end up purchasing why, and I talk about this all the time, but it is one of the most fascinating emails you can send and receive responses to because you can ask people like, look, I am not trying to sell you anything. You made your decision and I love it. I respect that. But I'm always looking to improve my offers, even just the types of products that I create. And I'd love to know why was it that you decided that this offer wasn't for you? And then that Th those are like real insights that you can use to incorporate into your funnel because sometimes people don't realize that the product you had is actually for them. Maybe it's a price point, but I would say if people say it's too expensive, do not take that at face value because that also can mean that you didn't communicate the value of that. So don't mm -hmm. go changing and slashing your prices just from, you know, two emails that say that. But those are things that you can use to improve. But I would say that the focus should be 
it, it should be both, honestly. It should be continuing to increase your traffic so you have a more accurate conversion rate. But equally, when you're bringing traffic in, you're not just letting that come through and see, you know, okay, great, this worked or it didn't. You should always be looking to tweak it. So it's like a chicken and the egg thing. Um, I don't think you can just do one over over the other. Yeah, for sure. My funny story about the thing you were just mentioning about sending that, like, why didn't you buy email is several years ago. It was when I first launched Startup Society and I had planned the launch. This was not very good planning on my part, but I'd planned the launch and then I was planning to leave for VidCon like the next day after the launch. And the last day of the launch or the day after the last day of the launch, an email goes out that is humor my curiosity, why didn't you buy? And I'd never sent that email before. First time I sent it, I had a relatively small, I mean, I had like several thousand email subscribers, but it wasn't like hundreds of thousands or anything like that. A few thousand email subscribers sent it out. My inbox blew up with over 500 replies to that email. And the entire week, long weekend I was at VidCon, I was like, every moment I wasn't actually at VidCon, I was just like on my laptop trying to clear out my inbox. And it took me the entire like five days that I was there. So be careful when you send that email. People love to answer that email. (laughs) And out of curiosity, what were, what was like the insights or what was the most, was there a trend or a pattern for why people didn't buy? Did you notice? Oh yeah, for sure. It was almost all one of two reasons. One was the thing you mentioned. People told me it was too expensive, which was really interesting since uh, it was $33. So I knew that that was actually Mm. telling me something else. And in my case, it I don't think it was as much about like, did I communicate the value? I think it was, it told me a lot about them and where they were at with their belief in themselves about whether or not they would be able to successfully use the product and get the results. And so I realized I needed to Mm -hmm. give more inspirational messages about what was possible there. And then the other thing people told me was that they didn't have time. And these are the two reasons people always say, the most popular reasons always, is they didn't have time. And that one I realized was a reflection on the product. I needed to make the product more streamlined and have more of a framework so that they could see how they would get a result more quickly instead of seeing it as a lot of content to get through. I love it. So going back to what you were saying in answer to that email about what should we focus on kind of like traffic or conversions, just in case the listeners are curious to what I told her, first of all, I just want to second exactly what you said that especially about the more traffic you have, the more data you'll get. And that is invaluable for improving your funnel and for even understanding if your funnel is working or not. And of course, both of those things are necessary, right? Like you can't make money without some traffic or some leads and also without a functional funnel that is converting at a decent rate. And personally, I think it's important to kind of pivot back and forth between these two focuses. So at the very beginning, like I don't think it matters that much which one you start with. I like to start with creating some content because that tends to kind of start to get the ball rolling and you start to grow your audience, start to get some momentum there. So after you start growing your audience, then going over building a really simple sales funnel and starting to direct traffic into it. And that way you're starting to potentially make some money in your business and get some data. 
Then really focusing in on the traffic side of things, driving as much traffic as possible into that funnel, again, so you get the data. And then once you see how the funnel's working, then if the funnel's working great, great, you can just go back and focus on traffic. But if you notice the funnel's not working as well as you want, then you can kind of switch your focus to working on improving the funnel. So that's kind of the answer that I gave there. I love it. I love it. Okay, so to wrap this all up, my last question for you, Jess, is I'm curious if you have any stories about creative or funny ways that you've seen new course creators launch. Maybe there's something we can learn from some interesting options that people have used, um, some alternative ways people have launched. Oh, what an interesting question. So honestly, for the most part, I haven't seen anything wild if like as in like no one's done like a live rock concert to launch their course some of the things that people do like i've seen people do like hours and hours of live streams of just like answering people's questions do people have bundled their courses with physical products people have done uh trying to think of what else like giveaways they've done scholarships to people those aren't like the funny stories those are just like interesting ways that you can you know things that you can incorporate um, I think for me, the the thing where I'm just like, wow, interesting has been the topics. Because uh, it doesn't matter how you launch a course. Sometimes the topics are fascinating. Like we had one that launched, which was on dolphin whispering, like speaking to dolphins. There's, you know, very niche specific courses. Obviously, the copper deficiency in goats is like our iconic one that we always talk about, <laughs> you know, getting very niche on levels. So like rather than like something for beginners, it's like intermediate, but I would say like the topic specifically are the ones that I'm always the most excited to see because, you know, it doesn't matter how you're launching your dolphin whispering course that is always going to have people being like, oh, well, this is interesting. I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> and then the question, of course, is, and did anyone buy those courses? And that's something you only know when you try, right? Uh, not necessarily yeah. when you try to launch, but when you try asking people. And maybe when you try to beta launch, and maybe when you try to launch. And there's just no way to predict that without doing some research and doing some testing. Exactly. And it, you will be surprised. Uh, I'm pretty sure people did actually purchase it. I think it was like a lower price product. And I, I think you need to have an audience before even deciding that's the topic like i think this creator knew there's people that want to know yeah. this um because I, that would be a very random topic to be like yeah i think i'm going to see if people are interested in this yeah when i say you can't know i mean you can't know like at a glance just from hearing the title you can know once you have an audience once you start talking to people once you do a survey you know, once you ask some people if they're interested or you ask them to buy, then you start finding out. And so if someone already has an audience in one of those very random niches, then they might know that there's demand for it. But to those of us who are outside of that industry, outside of that niche and have no knowledge of that topic, like our guess is as good as a flip of a coin. Exactly. Well, Jess, thank you so much for everything that you shared with us. This has been fascinating. I love how nitty gritty you got and how detail oriented just everything that you shared was. I know that the listeners are going to eat this up. So thank you so much for your time. And yes, just for everything you shared. Thank you so much for having me, Gillian. And I can say like I were all over at Teachable, huge fans of what you're doing. And I really how detailed and specific you are with your content even the podcasts you know having listened to the like 
you know, several episodes and just seeing how you break things down is just so great to see because I know I'm sure listeners will agree, but when you're starting out or when you're trying to grow something, just having a very step-by-step guidance is important. So um, props to you. And um, yeah, I appreciate um, being on here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so they too can learn how to build their business in a way that allows them to work less and earn more. And if you really love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave Work Less, Earn More a review to give it a boost and help even more people find it. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins, and until next week, stay focused and take action. Mm -hmm.